Today's episode will be about forming habits. And it's not just going to be habits uh, related to uh, building trust or trustworthiness, even though that's that's going to be my starting point. Uh, this is about this time of year. It's uh, it, This is actually the last episode of the year. And this is just about the time when uh, we all start making our priorities and uh, New Year's resolutions uh, for next year. And one of the reasons why we never follow through those resolutions, well, I'm not going to say we never, but often we start with making a resolution. We may follow through with it for a week, a month, maybe a day, maybe three months. And that's it. We just don't don't finish it. Uh, we don't we don't actually take it throughout the entire year. And, and it doesn't matter whether the resolution is to do something that will make you more trustworthy, which is typically my starting point, or it's uh, to lose ten pounds. Whatever it is, we know what we have to do. It's just that we don't do it, and we don't do it because knowing what you have to do is not enough. You have to form habits. And uh, this is why I'm taking the the whole process of habit forming out of how I use it with uh, trust habits or the trust habits framework. And I'm going to give you the essence of how you form new habits that change old behaviors. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? There is a great book about uh, habit forming uh, that's called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It came out in uh, 2018, but uh, for me, it actually started in uh, my second book that came out in 2014, and that book was called Worst Diet Ever, and yep, you are correct, it had nothing to do with trust and everything to do with losing weight. And I'll tell you the story. Uh, It actually started with... uh, a trip that my family did to Israel uh, in 2012. And on their way back, I met them in New York. We spent uh, five days uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. and New York. And on the last day, we went over to the uh, uh, Rockefeller Plaza where uh, NBC shoots the Today Show. And uh, we were there in the morning and uh, then we went into the building And uh, this was during the London, I believe, Olympics in 2012. And then we uh, uh, went to the experience store on the second floor of the GE building. And over there, three ladies came to me, one with uh, makeup on. uh, That was Madeline Ferenstrom. Uh, She was, uh, I think, still is the nutritional expert for NBC, for the Today Show. And two ladies with clipboards. And they asked me, would you want to be on the Today Show? I mean, yeah. And so uh, 
I asked them, what's the context? And they said, weight loss. So I'm looking down at uh, my weight. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I get it, but it's still national TV. It's NBC, the Today Show. I still have that clip. uh, And and I use it in in my workshops. But uh, what do you want me to do? And they said, uh, we want you to ask a question. And if you have a good question, we're going to put you on air and you get to ask it on air. So I thought about that and I said, you know what? I do. I, I do have a question. I, I've been meaning to lose weight for I don't know how long. I know what I have to do. I, I know what I can or cannot eat. I know how much exercise I need. Knowledge is not the issue. Where do you find the motivation? And so they said, oh, this is a great question. We're going to put you on air. So they put me on air. I asked the question. Uh, They, you know, they gave me this very generic answer. uh, You know, do it in small steps and uh, get the support of your family and and so on. But, But on the flight back home, I thought about this. You know, if I'm right, knowledge is not the issue. I'm I'm not a nutrition expert. I'm not a weight loss expert. But I just finished my doctoral dissertation that involved a research of motivation. Sure, it was motivation in the context of of, uh, uh, creativity in the workplace, but it was still motivation. I just studied motivation for two years. I have to be able to answer this question myself. And so I thought about this, and on the way back home, by the time we landed in Dallas, I knew what the plan has to be. And I put it together, and look, I wasn't trying to lose 100 pounds in one week. I really don't recommend anybody tries to lose 100 pounds in in one week. Um, I was trying to lose 32 pounds over a period of six months which is very, very reasonable, but it does take discipline and it does take, um, well, it it takes motivation. It it takes a lot of effort. I made this plan. I started executing on it and I ended up losing those 32 pounds in the six months minus three days. I I actually beat it by three days. Uh, When my doctor, my my physician saw me a month later in January, he immediately noticed it. I mean, 32 pounds, you see. And uh, he asked me, what did I do? And I told him, and that's when he said, uh, you should write a book. And uh, that's when I wrote Worst Diet Ever. And even in that book, I started building this framework for this habit-forming process that today I use for building your trustworthiness. But what I'm going to do today in today's episode is... I'm going to show you how you form habits, regardless of trust and and trustworthiness, just how you form habits. Uh, It's actually more comprehensive than uh, than what I wrote about in Worst Diet Ever, uh, and it's more comprehensive than what James Clear wrote about in uh, Atomic Habits. Uh, It's going to involve a set of tools and a set of uh, actions and activities and, and little things And you don't have to do all of them, and not all of them are applicable to whatever new habit you want to form, but 
the more of those you're going to use, the higher the probability that you're going to form a new habit and you're going to change the behavior that, that you want to change. Now, uh, I just have to say something about trust and the relationship between this and the trust habits framework. Uh, most trust frameworks leave you with just the what, you know, knowing what you have to do. But, but as I said before, um, knowledge is not the issue. Motivation is. Well, it's, it's actually more than motivation. And, and I'll talk about that today. But, but you don't get the how. So, you know, somebody is going to tell you that in order to be more trustworthy, you need to communicate more. But they're not going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you how. Uh, the trust habits process has seven steps. I'm only going to cover th steps three through seven because I'm not applying it to trust here. And step one is really identifying a specific relationship. Step two is identifying a bad behavior that you want to change. And that's not necessarily applicable to uh, other habits. Um, they're, they're a lot more specific to, to trust. So uh, here I'm going to assume that you know what behavior you want to change or therefore what habit you want to form. So instead of seven steps, this is going to be six steps. And step number one is that you have to choose the goal. Um, choose one goal. And that's really important. Uh, I know that at this time we start putting out our priorities and everything is important. And, and I'm not going to say that not everything is important. What I am going to say is that if you try and work on three habits, form three habits in parallel, you are likely not going to form even a single one. Um, it, it's just, it's too much effort and, and it's too much of a distraction. Uh, one will distract you from the other. So choose one, uh, it, it's really choose one behavior that you wanna change and choose a habit that will change it. So, you know, the behavior that you want to change might be that uh, you don't want to eat carbs. Okay, you want to lose weight. Your goal is to lose weight. You want to reduce your carb consumption. Okay, that's the behavior. The behavior is that you're eating too many carbs in a day. So choose one habit that will change it. And the habit in this case is simply going to be reduce the amount of carbs. So we know what the new habit is. The new habit is to reduce the number of carbs uh, that you consume in one day. But I'm going to use a framework that's called the SMART framework or S-M-A-R-T. It's an acronym. And the first is that you have to be specific. So it's not enough to say reduce the number of carbs. You may want to be very specific in how many carbs can you have in a day. The next part is that it has to be measurable. That's the M in SMART. Not only at the end. You know, one of the things that, that almost guarantees you're not going to be forming a new habit is that whatever you want to measure, you can only measure at the end. It needs to be measurable throughout the process. So let's say that, that what you want to measure is weight. And, and you want to lose 32 pounds like I did, 
But what you need to do is say, well, if it's 32 pounds, let's say it's 36, so the numbers will work better. 36 pounds over six months, that means six pounds per month. That means kind of 1.5 pounds a week, which, by the way, is is pretty safe if that's what you want to do, uh, lose weight. 1.5 pounds per week is pretty safe. Now, if the only way you're going to measure it is at the end, or the only way it can be measured is going to be at the end, you don't know if you're on the right path or not, or if you're doing the right things. And you need this kind of a ongoing feedback loop to know that you're on track, that you're ahead, that you're behind. Uh, So it has to be measurable and not only at the end. It has to be achievable, but it shouldn't be too easy. If it's too hard, and and this is kind of uh, the Goldilocks rule, if it's too hard... Uh, you're you're going to very quickly be demotivated. Uh, you, you're just going to give up. You know, you're going to fall behind and say, I'm, I'm giving up. If it's too easy, then you're not motivated enough to, to work on it. So it has to be achievable. It has to be not too easy, not too hard, just about right. And that's before we're going to make it in the next step. We're going to make it even easier. It has to be relevant. Uh, it has to be relevant to changing the behavior that you want to change. So if the behavior is eating too many carbs, then relevant is going to be eat fewer carbs. And you know what? How do you measure carbs? Well, uh, it depends. You, you are going to have to write down what you eat and uh, know the carb uh, content of it. Uh, maybe you should know the carb content ahead of time. Uh, and uh, that's that's how you measure it. And that's how it's relevant. And it has to be timely. And once again, we're not talking about only the end of the process. Um, You know, one example is uh, uh, when when I was a general manager in Texas Instruments, uh, one of the complaints that I heard about me was that uh, I I was not really meeting my direct reports, even though their offices were... Um, you know, in a hundred yard radius from my office and I didn't have to go outside. They're all in the building and and I just had to walk to them. But my preferred communication means for multiple reasons was email. And somebody said to me, uh, you know, with good intentions of helping me, he said, get your butt out of your office, go see them in person. So, you know, what's, what's my behavior? The bad behavior was that I wasn't seeing them. Uh, I was communicating over email, which today I know is low intimacy of communications. The new habit was going to be that I'm going to see them, uh, each one of them, in person 30, 30 minutes uh, a week each. And so this is kind of, you know, when you look at the SMART framework, it was specific. I'm going to see them in person. It was measurable, 30 minutes every week, achievable, Uh, 30 minutes, four people, once a week. That's a total of two hours. Uh, That's achievable. It's not too easy, not too hard. It's relevant. If I see them in person, I change the behavior of communicating only over email. It is timely. It's once a week, 30 minutes once a week. So that's how you make it smart. So just think about uh, whatever your new habit uh, is going to be. Is it specific? Is it measurable? Can you measure it? Is it achievable? Not too easy, not too hard. Is it relevant to change the behavior you want to change? Is it timely?
do, do, do you put a time frame and not just how long it's going to take, not just I'm going to lose 36 pounds in six months. No, the, the 1.5 pounds per week is timely and, and it's a lot more uh, effective than just uh, let's see what happens after six months. So step number one was to identify the behavior and choose the new habit. Step two was to make this habit a smart habit. In step two, you made uh, your new habit a smart habit. So it's specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. In step three, you're going to make it stick. So this is, uh, this is where we're going to make it easier uh, or more, you know, maybe I can call it more enforceable for you to form uh, this habit. And I'm going to give you, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm going to give you seven uh, different approaches to how you make it stick. And the first one is uh, you feel a void. You know, when when you, whatever your old behavior was, Simply removing it leaves a void and you need to somehow fill the void because otherwise the void is going to call you. The void is going to try and fill itself. It's going to feel uncomfortable that you are not doing something and it's going to be harder to not do it if you don't replace it by something. So maybe that's how we call it instead of filling the void, uh, replace uh, something. So, you know, one example is uh, if, if you want to lose weight and, you know, you're very careful in what you eat for uh, appetizer and your main course, but then comes the 3000 calorie cake that you have at the end. Um, you know, when, when, I, when I grew up, I, I learned that there has to be a dessert and, and it has to be sweet. And re simply removing it, my body is used to getting something sweet. So we need to replace it with something that makes the body feel that, okay, you got your sweet thing. It's, uh, you know, we just replaced it with something that maybe has uh, sweeteners in it instead of uh, real sugar that has a high carb uh, content. Um Maybe it's replacing the soft drink with a diet drink. So you need to fill the void. Don't, don't leave a void because voids feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and, you know, one of the examples uh, w when I tell people uh, w when we work in, in our workshops on uh, uh, forming habits, uh, one of the things that I ask at the beginning is take your watch from your left hand and put it on your right hand. Now, you would be amazed and how distracting this is to people. And it's so distracting that I don't do that earlier than when I start talking about forming habits. Because if I'm going to do that while we talk about what trust is and you know how people look at you uh, when they decide if they can trust you or not, if I talk about it then... It, if I ask them to to move their watch from the, their hand watch, wrist watch, from the left hand to the right hand, or vice versa, depends on where they have it. Most people have it on the left hand. Uh, if I do that earlier on, they're not going to concentrate. It, it's just going to annoy them. And you know what? I don't know 
if what annoys you more is that the watch is on the right hand or that the watch is no longer on the left hand. And I'm going to bet one is that the, the latter is the case, that, that it, it bothers you more than there is a void on your left hand rather than there is something new on your right hand. But even if it doesn't, it plays a role. There is a, a watch, there, there is something new on your right hand and there's something missing on the left hand. Both of them are making it hard for you to exercise this new habit. But what if when we move the watch from the left hand to the right hand, we actually put something else that feels the same on the left hand? It's going to make it easier. So filling the void is number one. Number two is friction control. Uh, And the example that I like to give in this is uh, I used to have uh, motorcycles and the last motorcycle I had uh, was a Honda CBR600RR. Those of you who know what I'm talking about uh, will appreciate that motorcycle. Love that motorcycle, had it for 10 years. And the reason I sold it after 10 years was because in the last year, I realized that I only rode that motorcycle twice that year, one of which was to do the state inspection. But why? I love the motorcycle. I love riding the motorcycle. Why did I only ride it twice? Well, if I showed you where the motorcycle was stored, because I had two cars in a two-car garage, so there was no room for the motorcycle in the garage. Uh, So I built a shed in the backyard, and I had to get into the backyard, keep the door to the backyard open, unlock the shed, uh, get the motorcycle back, back it up, uh, uh, which which is not very easy. I had to maneuver that, get it out, get it down the, uh, the driveway, uh, let it stand there, go back, start locking everything, then go back down, start the motorcycle and ride. And then on the way back, I had to do the same things in reverse, It was just too much friction. So method number two to making it easier or make it stick, uh, as I call it, is uh, friction control. Either reduce the friction for doing the new habit or increase the friction of not doing it or of still exercising the bad behavior. Now, I'm I'm not going to tell you... (laughs) how each one of those applies to every, you know, losing weight, reducing the number of carbs and all. I'm just going to give you what they are. You ask yourself, how do I apply friction control? I just want to give you a list of things that will make it easy for you to form a habit. Number three is make it mindless. For something to become a habit, really the definition of a habit is that you don't have to think about it. You do it automatically. That's a habit. The more thought that has to go into exercising it, the less automatic it will be or the longer it's going to take for it to be automatic. One example, one tool that works is when you do it at the same time. You keep a certain rhythm. So you don't have to think about it. You know you're going to get on the treadmill. And for me, I knew... The, the last meal I have is at 6 p.m., right after which I go on the treadmill. 
nothing to think about. If I had to start thinking about, uh, you know, what would be a good time today? What would be a good time tomorrow? Obviously, there were exceptions, and the exceptions were if I had something like if I went teaching that night, uh, then maybe I'm going to have to pull it in and, and do it earlier in the afternoon or even in the morning. But in general, there was a rhythm. I used exactly the same process. I did not have to think about it. And this is why the, the third method is, I call it, make it mindless. Make it such that you don't have to think about it. That would accelerate how fast it becomes automatic. Number four is habit conditioning. And, and I know James Clear has something kind of like that where he calls it habit stacking. To me, it's, it's a little more than that. It's habit conditioning because there is a relationship between the two habits that, that's more than just stacking. Uh, you make one habit conditional upon the other habit that that uh, the first one is is a habit that you already formed the second one is the one that you're trying to form right now and the example i give with this is uh you know every year i go to my dentist uh, who uh, um asked me to use a uh a floss wire and and a soft tip and i never do that until one day what i started doing is I started saying, you know, instead of doing it after I brush my teeth, I'm going to do that before I brush my teeth. Brushing my teeth is a habit. Happens every day on the same time for many, many, many years. It's And this is kind of the definition of a habit too. Or something becomes a habit when it's easier to continue than it is to stop it. So it's easier for me to continue brushing my teeth than to stop it. And what I did was I said, I cannot brush my teeth, which is an established habit, until I flossed or I used the soft tape, which is the habit I'm trying to form. Ever since I started looking at it that way, this was, what, three years ago? There wasn't a single day that I didn't floss and use the soft tape, simply by conditioning a habit that I already had brushing my teeth in a habit that I want to form. Uh, so that's habit conditioning, number four. Number five, tech support. Uh, is there anything that where technology can help you? One thing for me is things don't happen if they're not on my calendar. So putting it on my calendar would increase significantly the probability that it's going to happen. So that's using technology. Logging. The fact that you log has uh, some psychological effects on continuing to do that. It motivates you. You see that you've done so well so far. You look at your log and the log has to be obviously visible. Uh, you look at the log and you go, well, I got to do it today. That has an effect. And the last one, the, the seventh one is extrinsic motivation. So motivation is an interesting thing. Uh, we don't do things that require effort unless the motivation is bigger than the effort. Intrinsic motivation means that if we do the thing, whatever that thing is, there's going to be an outcome, hopefully a positive one, and that outcome by itself is enough motivation for us to continue and do the thing. That's, that's the loop. And the thing might be exercise and the, the outcome, the natural outcome, and that's important that I talk about a natural outcome, uh, that is the result of doing the thing, 
which in this case is exercise, the natural outcome is that I lose weight, that I live, that I look good, that I live longer, and I, f- I feel good. Um, but often that is either out in the future and the net present value, which is something I talked about in the book, Worst Diet Ever, uh, the net present value is just not enough. And what I do is I complement it with extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation means that the outcome is not really an outcome. It's some kind of a benefit or, you know, it could be a carrot, it could be a stick that depends arbitrarily. So this is kind of a a connection that I'm making that's not really, it's not natural. Uh, A connection to that outcome and that outcome motivates me to keep on doing it. So for example, when I wanted to lose weight, um, what what I tied to doing the right things, losing weight or eating less or exercising more, what I tied to it was working on my radio-controlled airplanes. I could not do that on a day I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. And intrinsically, I wasn't motivated enough, but once I complemented it with extrinsic motivation, that's when it became enough. Now, you're going to ask yourself, so does that mean that we're doing things for the wrong reasons? Absolutely yes. But here's the thing. Once it becomes a habit, then you don't need the extrinsic motivation anymore. So use it to help form a habit. Take it out when you don't need it anymore. So, Step number three is make it stick. Let's find ways to make it easy to continue and do the habit or make it hard to not do it. And, and I gave you seven, uh, seven ways, feeling a void, friction control, making it mindless, habit conditioning, tech support or support of technology, logging it, and extrinsic motivation. The fourth step or component is having an accountability partner. And and I'm just going to read to you from a study that was done by the Association for Training and Development. Uh, It was years ago. But what they said was that if you know what what your goal is, you have 10% probability of achieving it. If you know what the goal is, you make a commitment, you're at 25%, you're making a plan, you are... um, setting a timeline or a deadline, you're now at 50%. And that's as high as you can get on your own. 50% is, uh, you know, not, not a great probability for success in forming a new habit, 50%. But they found that if you have an accountability partner, that goes up to 65%. And if you're meeting with your accountability partner or your accountability partner really holds you accountable on a regular basis, not at the end. You know, if I want to lose 36 pounds in six months, I don't need the accountability partner at the end. I need them every week to just check up on me and say, hey, have you done what you're supposed to do this week? Just that awkward feeling I don't know, maybe it's cognitive dissonance uh, of some kind, uh, but that feeling that you're not doing something and you promised another person and that person is going to call you and, and it's going to feel really awkward awkward when, when they call you, that increases the probability to 
Now, 95% is, is something I'm happy with. So have an accountability partner. Now, there are rules on choosing accountability partners. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, if, if this has to, do, to be with a relationship, has to do with the relationship with that person, that person cannot be your accountability partner. So for me, for example, with trustworthiness, if I need to be trustworthy by person A, person A cannot be my accountability partner. Somebody else has to be the accountability partner. Uh, one very important thing is no accountability pacts, no mutual accountability. You know, I'm going to hold you accountable and you hold me accountable because that very quickly becomes, instead of an accountability pact, it becomes a cutting corners pact. You know, I'm going to let you cut a corner this week. If you let me cut a corner this week, and you don't want to go that way. So step number four is have an accountability partner and on a regular basis, have them follow up with you on whether you're still doing the things that you're supposed to. The last step, uh, the the fifth step, uh, is really not a step. It's just you do it. Uh, But the question that comes up is uh, how long? How long do I need to keep on doing this until it becomes a habit? And there was research done, and I remember a study that said it's 66 days. Also, keep in mind that the range was 18 to 254, so that's a pretty broad, wide range. But also, this one was a study that was related to um, to exercising. And so, uh, what if your habit has nothing to do with exercising? I saw another study that said 21 days. I mean, if you just Google uh, how long does it take to form a habit, you're going to see those numbers uh, come up. And I think the answer to this is uh, when you want to start your car and you put the key in and you turn the key, how long are you going to keep the key turn? How long are you going to keep the starter running until the engine takes and and starts running by by itself? That's when you're going to stop. Same thing. How long should you do it until it becomes a habit? Now, uh, there is no hard line. That's the other thing that, you know, let's say that, that I could calculate it and I would say that it's 181 days. Okay, it's going to take you 181 days. It's There is no hard line. The thing is, with every day, with every repetition, the longer you you exercise it, the longer you do whatever that habit is, the higher the probability that it becomes a habit. And again, what is a habit? A habit is something that's done automatically, that you don't need to think about that. A habit is something that you don't need extrinsic motivation for. A habit is a habit when it's harder to stop it than to continue it. So, you know, initially, it's going to be very easy to stop. If, if you took out uh, the motivation and everything else you had there, it's going to be very easy to stop it. Uh, so you still need all of those components that I talked about just to continue. Uh, then it's going to be easy to stop if you stop it for a full week. Then it's going to be easier to stop uh, or, or, or it's going to be easier to stop. If you stop it for one day, it's going to be easy to stop. Then if you stop it for one day, you're still going to get back to it. 
you have to stop it for a week or stop it for a month before you really lose that new habit. But then you're going to get to the point where it's just, it's easier to continue than to stop. That's when it's a habit. And so I, I don't want to draw a line. I don't want you to think that there is a hard line. I want you to err on the side of, let's keep all those elements that help me form this habit. Let's keep them all in until I'm, I'm really beyond any doubt that, that I'm going to continue it uh, regardless. Then that's when you can start taking those things off. And, and even then, do it gradually. You know, take one thing off uh, and see if this is still a habit. Take another thing off and see uh, until, you know, you realize that you took all of those extra things out and it's still a habit. You just do it because, you know, because now it becomes intrinsic. Now you're intrinsically motivated. Or, or it, you're not even motivated. It's just, it's a habit. It's easier to stop. It's easier to continue than it is to stop. Let me summarize the process. Again, I, I kind of took you through five-step process, so we're going to call it five steps to form a habit. Uh, first one is to choose the goal, to choose the uh, behavior you want to change and uh, the habit that will change it. Number two is make it smart, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. Number three is to make it stick. I gave you seven different things. You can use all of them. You can use some of them or any combination uh, to help it uh, stick, to, to help it become a habit. Number four was have an accountability partner that uh, once a week or something like this uh, checks up on you. And number five, keep on doing it until it's harder to stop than it is to continue. This is the end of uh, Season 7, Episode 12. This is the end of Season 7. Uh, I wanted to remind you that, first of all, next week we're going to take a break. Next week is actually going to be uh, New Year's uh, Day. Uh, the next season, Season 8, we're changing the time, and the new episodes will drop at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday. They're probably still going to be recorded on Sunday or by Sunday, but they're going to drop... At, at 6 a.m. on Tuesday, so don't expect it on Sunday uh, after this season, starting uh, season 8. Uh, the first episode is going to be on January 3rd, 2023 at 6 a.m. With that, I wish you happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy uh, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate. Uh, and even if you don't celebrate, have happy holidays, happy winter break, and a happy new year. I will see you January 3rd, 6 a.m. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, 
trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.